how how are things today? I hope your uh, day is going better than my computer's working this morning. Yeah, it's uh, it's been going well here. We had a little bit of water in our basement after oh. that heavy rain the other day, but that seems to be. It didn't used to be that way here. I don't know what happened. Um, apparently, some of those heavy rains we got a couple years ago have, have um, caused a weakness somewhere in there. Now we get it. The good thing is we kind of know which spot it'll be, so you can kind of, you know, get the sandbags out and get it all ready. Down now, in there, is it so. just me, Al, or do you think that that the uh, rains have become more like torrential downpours? It seems to me we used to have more gentle rains, and this could just be my age, or I'm not sure what, but it seems to me now we get these downpours when we get this like three inches in a short period of time versus it being spread out more. It, and you're a bit older than I am, so in your opinion, is that what's happening, or is it just our mind is tricking us? It, it seems like it to me. I think it started when they started talking about rain events or weather events. Mm-hmm. So that put a lot of pressure on the weather systems <laughs> to really perform, and I think that's why we're getting... Yeah, I think we get more uh, all at one time. We just get these giant shots. And I know everybody can go back in history and said, well, boy, look at this day. We got 28 inches of rain or something like that. But it just seems like when we get it, we really get it anymore. And um, it's just, I guess, the way it is. Uh, people can say all kinds of things, climate change, whatever you want to come up with as a culprit for this. But it certainly seems true to me. Well, I had and, been uh, complaining, Al, about it, not not getting enough rain, you know, because I'm having to water the garden. So the day that was supposed to rain, it sort of looked like it was going to rain, but I thought, you know, if I don't water, it's not going to rain. So I spent probably five or six hours out watering everything, and guess what? We got that torrential rain, so I guess it worked. <laughs> it was your fault, then. We can all blame you. Right. What were you thinking? You know, it's just... That's my mom would never wash the car, because she said it just... Uh, there's no <laughs> point. We live on a gravel road. But whenever we got a nice rain, she would back the car out of the garage oh. and just let the rain fall on it. And then she'd go out with a chamois and kind of polish it up a little bit. So so it worked well for her. Speaking of that, I want to thank everybody. We had a full boat and then some on the Pelican Breeze on right before the 4th of July. And we had to, had to turn a bunch of people away. And I always feel bad when that happens. But... Uh, we had, uh, it was a reserve full boat, and we just had a great time. Thousands of pelicans and bald eagles, not thousands of bald eagles, but bald eagles on the lake. Wait, you saw thousands of pelicans? Oh, yeah. Because I was just down in Lake Washington this, was it this past week or last week, and I was impressed that I saw six pelicans. They were just standing on a, a sandbar. I was on my little hydro bike. It's a bike you can go on the water. And I saw six within, you know, 15, 20 feet, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I figured there must have been, you know, you kind of do a quick count. and looked like 1,101 <laughs> one group, and then they were flying all over. So I'm sure there was at least another 1,000 or so, and maybe, you know, I didn't see them all. So there was, a, there was just a, a great number there that day. So fishing must have really been good on that lake. Um Folks, I know some folks that say they drive by here and honk every so often, so I know some people have driven by the the bat cave here, but our yard has a certain wildness. It's an uninhibited landscape, I guess would be a polite way. And Sitchi Yard and Dead Limbs makes our place the occasional nesting site for red-headed woodpeckers. 
we had a dead tree, my favorite tree that the wind took down, but we had red-headed woodpeckers nesting in there for all the time we were here, so I really miss that tree. But our rural neighborhood is blessed by the presence of these lovely birds each year. And I headed out my driveway the other day and was down the road a piece when a red-headed woodpecker nearly hit my car. We were talking uh, a week or two ago about deer coming up out of the ditch and hitting cars. Well, this guy just he flew off a utility pole and just hit, almost hit the side of my car. Ouch. And that near miss, which, oh, I was so thankful that it was a miss, made me think of Aristotle. I know you're saying red-headed woodpeckers and Aristotle, really? <laughs> well, I took a class years ago, and no, Aristotle didn't teach it. But Aristotle was credited with coming up with the four levels of happiness, and here they are as I remember them. Number one was material objects. You know, you get all this junk, and then you're happy. Eagle gratification was the second one. Third one was doing good for others. And the fourth one was not having a red-headed woodpecker collide with your car. So Aristotle was really, he was right on way back then. How he knew those things, I don't know. I saw a great horned owl fly up from the rural road ahead of me and had been likely hunting rodents, such as voles, because voles are the potato chips of the wild. They have so many predators. They have to be nervous little critters. But I read an article in Living Bird, a wonderful magazine put out by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, that said a single barn owl might eat more than 11,000 mice in its lifetime. Cool. One owl, 11,000 <laughs> mice. It went on to say that those 11,000 mice would have consumed 13 tons of crops. So nice work by that owl. And back at home, I listened to a saucy blue jay. I've discovered that I tried to describe his the sounds he was making, but I, I've discovered that describing a bird's voice is akin to describing a whine. And I watched as a father oriole fed a baby begging baby. It just made my day. Uh, Joel Hayford of Wasik, an old teammate, uh, sent me a photo, and he said, what kind of a thing is this? And it was a widow skimmer. It's a dragonfly with a really unique pattern. What stumped Joel in his summer school class was that this, this dragonfly was missing the abdomen which just made it really an odd-looking thing, but it's a widow skimmer. Uh, Doris Berger of Janesville said raccoon took the grape jelly jar off her back porch, carried it 20 feet away into the hostas, took the cover off, and cleaned it out. Yeah, they're just, uh, you know, I, and they're getting smarter, too. That's the sad part. It's just like... Uh, I know they're going to school with us. We just are, we're <laughs> teaching them stuff, and they get smarter and smarter. Well, do you know what uh, I had in my garden that ate everything, and I, I was just stunned. I had a cauliflower that was big as a bowling ball, and I had I had tied the top together, you know, so they stay white. You want that nice white color, and yep. I untied it to harvest it, and there was nothing there. And then um, I was mystified as to what would have taken an entire head of cauliflower, and then it. About three days later, I was going to harvest my beautiful, beautiful head of cauliflower or cabbage. And I mean, it was just perfect, the beautiful, most beautiful thing. And as I was pulling it out, um, about half of it from the underside had been eaten. And you, you know what I think has been doing it? I, I don't. I, all I can think of is it's voles. Yeah. And I mean, I, I didn't know that they like the brassica family, which is cauliflower, 
Brussels and the other thing they've been chewing on the my Brussels sprouts so I um, put 10 traps out and in I didn't even put any bait on them Al I just stuck them out there in the where I thought they'd run and the next morning I had trap four including three babies and a mama or daddy I'm not sure which so I did not realize that voles liked the cabbage family plants that well I think they eat anything they're just uh, they're they're the problem is there are just so many of them. Boy, they just overwhelm you with numbers sometimes. So I hope you're able to get them out of there because they drive me crazy because they, you know, if you forget to wrap one little tree that you planted, you wrap all of them, but you forget one. It's dead. That's the one they'll go chew on and girdle it. Yeah. They're just, they they can find things. And uh, somebody said, how can they find everything? Well, that's all they do is look for food. So if you're just looking for food, it's pretty easy to find it in the winter. Do you have any suggestions for me short of um, dynamiting the, the, the ground to get rid of them all? I mean, I'm doing the trap thing, but is there any other advice you have or maybe just not plant a garden anymore? You know, a raised bed garden about 20 feet high. My raised bed is 18 inches high, and honestly, I, I even put chicken wire underneath thinking that that would do it so they wouldn't come up, but obviously that didn't work either. Yeah, I think if you get it 20 feet high with <laughs> nice slippery walls on it, okay. that probably should keep them out of there, and then you can you know run a ladder up there. I wish <laughs> I had a good answer for voles. I, I guess yeah. trapping them is is you know probably better than anything you can do and good luck i guess we're all in this together yeah uh chad heinz of mankato said he's been seeing uh oh here's a list of birds he saw by the trestle uh rock pigeon cliff swallow eastern wood peewee indigo bunting spotted sandpiper american red start blue wing warbler scarlet tanger common nighthawk and he said uh, they also on the Miniopa Prairie and uh, uh, Hensel Sparrow, Grasshopper Sparrow, Clay-Colored Sparrow, Eastern Meadowlark, Brown Thrasher, and Eastern Toey. In the group camp area, Blue-Gray Gnat Catcher and Ovenbird. At Williams Nature Park, Scarlet Tanager. Uh, he stopped uh, by the falls, and he said he found a northern ruffed-winged swallow, eastern Phoebe, and wood thrushes with fledglings, and American red start, yellow-throated vireo, and yellow-bellied sapsucker along Miniopa Creek. He went to Lily Lake and Lake Crystal, you know, cormorants, pelicans, great blue heron, bald eagle, and um, a purple martin. Found a common nighthawk while trying to find a Eurasian collared dove. Also, a willow flycatcher, dick thistle, bobolink, sedgeran, marsh wren, Virginia rail, American bittern. Miss seeing brewer's blackbird and western meadowlark there. In Watton 1 WPA, found a red-headed woodpecker. At uh, Watton 1, they also had a belted kingfisher. He, somebody got a hold of Chad and said that they saw a scissor-tail flycatcher south of Lake Crystal on July 1st. And Chad said it's like a third-hand report, but if anybody's around south of Lake Crystal, take a look. There are uh, a pair of scissor-tail flycatchers in Mauer County by Dexter, but it's a really cool bird with a very, very long, long tail. Chad also said he found a pair of sandhill cranes with a colt near Ranky Slough, 
also a willow flycatcher and an upland sandpiper at Lincoln WPA. At Judson Bottom Roads from Mankato to Cortland, they had a peregrine falcon, bobolink, dick thistle, eastern meadowlark, eastern towhee, field sparrow, orchard oriole, northern ruffed-winged swallow, scarlet tanager, uh, indigo bunting, lark sparrow, Eurasian collared dove, black terns, forster's terns, and lease bitterns, sora, Virginia rail, lease sandpipers. Man, he saw stuff. Wow. Also at the Nicollet um, Cattle Pond by Nicollet, Ruddy Duck, Pied-Bill Grebe, Marsh Wren, and American White Pelican. Also saw some great dragonflies, a blue dasher, a Halloween pennant, widow skimmer, Green darner, twelve spotted skimmer, common white tail, dot face or I'm sorry, dot tailed white face, white face, meadow hawk. Uh, John Cruz, and again I believe John lives in Wells, said I saw my first yellow billed cuckoo at my place. Hopefully they'll come back like they did last year. Dick thistles are out in force. And John, I've been hearing a yellow bill calling here in my yard. Tim Poulos went out to gravel pit by Miniopa State Park. He saw the blue grosbeak, a pair of them there, Dwayne Hamer of Hayfield. Dwayne was one of our wonderful rural carriers. The mail went through every day, except, you know, national holidays. But other than that, they went through, and um, a good guy, and he said he's enjoying retirement. Uh, red-headed woodpeckers have a nest in a horse pasture across the road from my place. They were getting suet at my feeder earlier. Also, have a cooper's hawk nest in our woods. And they have at least one nestling, cannot see any others. The hawk killed a crow in our yard either last evening or this morning. Enjoys eating crow. Uh, Dean Musing said, do boreal chickadees ever wander as far as southern Minnesota? I saw a movie at the Wolf Center in Ely that showed them eating off a deer carcass. Somewhat surprised by that, but considering their environment, that makes sense. Yeah, Dane, they're typically found in north-central and northeastern Minnesota, and their normal breeding territory goes as far south, oh, probably as Aitken County. However, there have been records of them in Wabashaw County and Martin County. And I have watched them up north feed on deer carcasses because they aren't the feeder birds that black-capped chickadees are. So they're um, a little bit different. Uh, Shirley Hall said, we live south of Mankato in a small acreage. We enjoy the birds that come to our feeder. We've always had crows around. The other day we came across a group of three on the ground. When we approached, two flew off and one remained. It seemed unable to fly and distressed, so we took out some bird food and water. About an hour later, we checked on it, and it was still in the same area but in taller grass. We took it in, tried to give it water, and looked it over for any injury, but nothing was obvious. I did a little checking on the Internet and was able to determine that it was a young crow. It had gray eyes, so we put it back out where we found it. Guessing the other two were its parents. The next day, we discovered it had died. Last night, while on another walk, we found another one dead crow in our yard. Is this something we should be concerned about? Looking forward to your insight. Um, probably not. I mean, uh, stuff dies, and uh, it's too bad. I guess if you see many more than that, then maybe somebody should be called, but it, you shouldn't worry about two of them. And you were cool to notice the eyes. When crows are babies, they have the bluest eyes of any baby you'd ever see. 
Uh, Wayne Fetter of Bluer saw an orchard oriole. Millie Wesson of, Hay- of Hayward is a purple martin landlord. They said this year she had 32 nests in the 42 apartments and so far 144 babies. Uh, Verna Hoppy said, I heard that rabbits don't eat marigolds because they taste terrible. <laughs> so we have put a border of marigolds around the garden. Rabbits <laughs> ate every single one. I'm just laughing because rabbits will basically eat anything, especially the uh, babies. A lot of times they don't even eat it. They just chew it, I think, just to, to keep their teeth in shape from growing too fast. Because I had a neighbor lady who had a whole flat of of marigolds that she was going to plant. And before she even was able to get them in the grounds, the rabbit had chewed off every one. Yeah, you know, my grandma always swore by marigolds. Oh, just plant them around. They won't even go in there. It's like a fence. Yeah. I stood there one day and watched one of the rabbits (laughs) eat one part of the fence. And I thought, oh, that's... Uh, Verna replaced the marigolds with vinca, so she's going to see how that works. I'm thinking the the rabbits have no discrimination when it comes to different types of plants. They really don't. I mean, seriously, if if they're hungry or they want to do their teeth, they'll just eat it. It doesn't matter. I agree. If they're hungry enough, they're like deer. They'll eat just about anything. Yep. You know, when you think about deer eat um, evergreens in the wintertime, and boy, that would be a tough, that'd be a tough diet. Well, I always, uh, you know, as a gardener, I always look for things that are deer resistant or rabbit resistant. Now, resistant does not mean deer proof. So always keep that in mind. Even if it says resistant, that means no guarantees here. That's just, uh, you know, a lot of kids are broccoli resistant. They will eat it if they're threatened, but they're, you know, it'd be way down the order. And we always talk about ice cream plants, you know, things that, whether you're talking about people or animals, things that they really like, and then you go down that order. Um, Sue Steele of Albert Lee said, I had a chipmunk eating grape jelly. It was there a long time. When was it putting it in its cheek pouch for later i would think it'd be hard to get the jelly out i've never seen one at my jelly before yeah the chipmunks in my yard love grape jelly and i don't know how they i think it'd be real difficult to store that jelly down in a burrow so i think maybe sometimes they'll just put some in their pouch and then you know get it out of there one way or another and eat it later but they seem to just love grape jelly Brenda Katasik of St. Peter. Uh, Brenda says, I hope all is going well for you, Al. Heard you say you'll need another surgery later. I listen to your KMSU radio shows and read all your articles in the newspapers. Love it. Been photographing many birds this spring and summer and getting prepared for the Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah in August. The flowers are coming along beautifully and quite a few hummingbirds there and others. Well, thank you very much, Brenda. I look forward to being at the Henderson Hummingbird Ride. It's a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, Jerry Iverson, known Jerry for a long time, and Jerry says, uh, was the goldfinch ever the state bird, the official state bird of Minnesota? You know, it wasn't. Um, I guess I think a lot of people considered it the unofficial state bird, so it kind of it had a little bit of pull as far as birds go, but it was never the state bird. It started way back in, I want to say, 1926 when a woman's club in um, 
in Minnesota, probably the Minnesota Federation of Women's Clubs, they lobbied to have the goldfinch recognized as the official state bird. So it's possible because of that the goldfinch was thought of as Minnesota's state bird. The goldfinch was proposed to the state legislature for adoption in 1947 and again in 1949 as the official state bird. And other birds proposed during the 40s and 50s included the morning dove, the wood duck, scarlet tanager, and pileated woodpecker. Where was the common loon? Well, he was proposed in 1951, but didn't become the state bird until 1961. And the goldfinch is the official state bird of Iowa, Washington, and New Jersey. So it's uh, he's, the goldfinch has enough jobs. It's got a bunch of jobs there. This is a, I got this from two people, and I don't know if they'd read something or heard something. They said, why don't I see as many insect splatters? on my car windshield as I used to. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's, and I think about that once in a while. It, it seems my, my wife has a Prius, and I have a Subaru, and I get a lot more splatters on my windshield than she does on hers. <laughs> um, I, maybe they, I don't know. They it could like be, maybe it's your, dri- your driving <laughs> Yeah, I think my wife has suggested that that's probably the reason. You know, E.O. Wilson calls insects the little things that run the world, and sometimes they run into windshields. Insects are less likely to hit the windshield of slow-moving vehicles. We all know that. So if you're out there looking at the crops going 15 miles an hour, you're probably not going to hit a whole lot of them. The airflow around the vehicle takes the insects safely away with it. So if we're hitting a certain speed, they just kind of go over the top. But we've got to throw in insect habitats, uh, flight patterns, and the seasons are certainly factors in influencing how many strike windshields. My windshield, you know, I don't hit many in um, here in January. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think part of it is the types and shapes of vehicles will determine how many flying insects that hit grills and windshields. Some people say that today's cars are more aerodynamic and therefore less lethal to insects, and that makes sense to me, but it's not true about all cars, because some of those old cars were pretty, the old Mustangs and things, they were pretty sleek. You know, Al, here's an idea. You know what NASCAR does? They just have those peel-off windshields that once they get dirty or or splattered or something, then they just peel it off, and then they just go keep going, and then until it gets dirty and peel another layer off. It's kind of a cool thing. they do. I had no idea they did that. It, yeah. it sure makes sense. Yeah. yeah. What we need is a car that produces an airflow that takes deer away with it, yeah. so we wouldn't have to worry. <laughs> just, we see that deer and we hit it and it just... Peel uh, it off? Yeah, it, that'd be good. So, But yeah, that's a great, and if anybody's got any other ideas on that. Uh, lastly, I got about 500 of these questions in the last week. How can I, what is wild parsnip? Which one of those things out there is a wild parsnip? Uh, It's everywhere this year. It's been a really good year for it. Uh, Bad year for us, especially those people who are really susceptible to it. It's a native plant of Europe and Asia, and no one is sure when it arrived here or whether somebody brought it to this country on purpose, but it's been here for a long time. There's records in Minnesota going back to 1878. Wisconsin has them as far back as 1894. And it's a biennial that grows, oh, five feet high anyway. 
and they have uh, umbrella-shaped clusters, and they're called umbels, and they're yellow. Um, they just they bloom primarily in June and July. The stem is green. It's an inch to two inches thick, and it's smooth with very few hairs, and it tolerates just about any kind of soil, but it requires sun, full sun mainly. So we see it in open areas, pastures, fields, roadsides, and disturbed areas. And it's persistent even after being sprayed. The problem is the contact with a sap of wild parsnip combined with the presence of sunlight causes a problem on pleasant rashes on our skin. And these can take weeks to heal and mm. they can leave long-lasting scars. It People sometimes, I think, I've read things in uh, various things that said poison hemlock has the same thing, does the same thing, but poison hemlock have flowers that bloom also in a number. Uh, they're white, though. So, so it's yellow versus white, because I've been reading a lot about that lately with the hemlock and the wild parsnip, both concerned about be, them being invasive and causing problems with when they interact with your skin. So, um, And they're becoming more and more common, I guess. They are. And, um, you know, hemlock, uh, that was used as a poison in Greece and Rome, most mm-hmm. notably as a poison that killed Socrates. But I've read this everywhere, and it's a common misconception that poison hemlock sap causes skin rashes and blisters. In fact, it's toxins. uh, They just don't. The problem is if you have any cuts or if you're cutting the stuff and it gets in a cut or in the eyes, then there's problem. It's not a rash. This is poison. So it's a a bad thing to have around. But uh, as every, every grandma that everybody's ever had, has said this. It's always something. So I guess these are, are the something of of our group. And you said you heard from John. I from did. John reporting live from New Ulm. He says he's not sure if he's already sent this one. So he said um, he's going to try it again. So if you know it, maybe you can act surprised in case you have. He says there was a, or why was the football coach mad at the vending machine? Um, I think I know that one, but I um, it wouldn't give him his quarterback. Yep. Oh, <laughs> man, you know I get John. I get one right a year. Yeah, so that's thanks. This year it happened already in July, so this this might be the year that I answer two of them. Right. That would be so cool. <laughs> well, anyway, and so it, so John sent a postcard as well, and you know he's. He's uh, always observing interesting things, and his sister, you know, is suffering from cancer and still going through treatments and things like that. So we wish her well and, and thinking of you, John, and thanks for the, the note. Yeah, thanks, John. She, your sister's certainly been in my thoughts and prayers, and if I get a second one, it's going right. It's going right on my resume. <laughs> I hope, John, that you'll make it to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. This special is always a Heimlich maneuver. And gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders, where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. One 
one wonderful year for anniversary, I took my wife to a giant Costco store. It was supposed to be a surprise, <laughs> and I think she was surprised. And the Costco store was as big as an imagination. The big box store stretched from here to way over there. We weren't members, but I had obtained free passes for one day. Mm. We could look, but we couldn't buy anything. That's my kind of shopping trip. I did spend some time admiring the mountain of toilet paper there. It was impressive and would have been a challenge to climb. And recently I talked with a spokesman for Costco who told me that their biggest seller was toilet paper. Toilet paper makes up nearly 0.4% of the total revenue of the large warehouse chain. And that didn't surprise me. Before I forget, the J.C. Hormel is having their annual water festival this week. If you check out J.C. Hormel, man, they have every kind of water testing, umpteen things for kids, canoeing and um, oh, kayaking, and just all kinds of wonderful things going on. So if you are over in that area, please. And on Saturday, July 5th, New Alms Pollinator Park. Wait a minute. 22- Saturday, July 5th? Isn't, isn't July 5th passed already? Oh, July 15th. I'm thank you. Sorry. Oh, thank you. I was confused. Okay. Oh, no, thank you. I'm permanently confused. So it's on 2250 North Broadway Street in New Ulm, and they're going to clean up the pollinator park that oh, they nice. have there, and they're looking for volunteers. So if anybody, uh, I guess you can get a hold of the DNR office in New Ulm. Uh, other than that, thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember, Heartland is while we're driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, for all your good work. I hope you have your very best day ever. You too, Alan. We'll be back again with you next week. Oh, actually, I think I'll be gone next week, but uh, Gully will be back, I think, next week. So we'll There's cha- only one of you there ever at a time, right? Right, because, you know, heaven forbid we actually have to talk <laughs> to each other. <laughs> we cross paths. Thanks, Al. We'll talk to you next week. Yep, All right, bye-bye. Always great to talk with our good friend Al Bat from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, and uh, hoping he has a great day and a great rest of his week, too. It is 1032, and you are listening to A Minnesota Morning. I'll just get all the headlines for the news at 11. I wasn't able to get them at 10, but we'll get a bunch of them for you coming up. But uh, right now I'm going to do our history lesson for this morning.